1 verses 3 through 12. This morning we'll study these verse, or we'll study verses 3 through 5 basically together and talk about um, some things. Last week we talked about a genuine faith, a faith that we can have that's unfading, a faith that's not going away, but a faith that's growing, a faith that is rightly placed in a right place. It's rightly placed in a right purpose. Uh, it's rightly placed in a right prize, and that prize and that purpose and that place being Jesus himself. Uh, again, I want to remind you that as, as Peter is writing these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's writing to a group of believers um, just 30, really 30 years removed from Jesus walking on the earth, Jesus ascending into heaven. 30 years removed. I mean, a lot can happen in 30 years. I, I've only lived about that long, and so uh, so I know a lot can happen within 30 years. I mean, I've, I've made a lot of progress. You'll be proud of me. I went from not able to walk at all to crawling, and then I began to, to walk. And then after walking, uh, just in a short time, uh, I began to uh, learn how to run and jump. And I'm not as fast as some people, but, uh, but still, I learned those things. And I also, uh, you know, praise be to Jesus all for this, all to him be the glory. And I learned uh, a number of other things like how to be sarcastic. And uh, I also learned how to, to be potty trained. And I learned how to fish and to hunt, all these important things in life. And I learned one of the most important things of all, which is the greatest state in the union. You know what I'm talking about, right? Texas, right? Yeah. Okay, just that we're clear on that. I learned all these things just in a short uh, 30-something years of life. A lot can happen, particularly with these folks that Peter is writing to. All their hope was based upon Jesus. Maybe some of them saw firsthand Jesus. Maybe they are just hearing the words, but they were deeply moved by it. And with that, their life was radically changed. And their hope and their salvation uh, all rest and rest and on Jesus. And then life began to hit them, literally, with rocks, with stones, separation from family, separation from inheritance, uh, separation from everything. Martyrdom began. And their hope, their following of Jesus began to, to weaken just 30 years later. Uh, maybe you know folks who've had some kind of tragedy and uh, just in a short time they were no, no longer able to walk. And how sorry we feel for them because of the tragedy that happened in their life. How they went from being born and learning how to walk and then some tragedy comes upon their life, and through that tragedy, they, through that tragedy, they can no longer, they can no longer walk. And how sorry we feel for them. But some of these folks, these early believers, were having that kind of tragedy happen. The suffering that they were going through, the weaknesses that they were experiencing, um, the persecution that they were experiencing, the being pushed to the margins that they were experiencing were causing them to weaken in their faith. Where they were walking and running, now they're crawling and stopping. And so Peter, urged through the Holy Spirit, begins writing to them this letter. A little bit of history for you, maybe you already know this, but the Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark was the first to be written. And it was written ten, almost ten years after this letter 
Peter and Mark did much of their ministry together. Mark kind of grew up watching Peter. Peter was the leader. He was the leader of the apostles. He was the leader of the church. And Mark began to write down the things that he saw, the things that he saw firsthand, but also the things that he learned from Peter. And we have that book, It's called, uh, or that letter, it's called the Gospel of Mark. So when you read the Gospel of Mark and you read First Peter, you can see Peter's influence in that. You can see his, his life. So these group, this group of Christians that Peter is writing to, they didn't have the Bible like we have it. They didn't have the structure like we have it. They didn't have the accountability. They didn't have the weekly meetings like we, like we have. They couldn't just reference quickly on their, on their tablet because they didn't have Wi-Fi. Their tablet was just a stone. They couldn't quickly research on their tablet the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John or Luke or Matthew. They couldn't quickly reference these things in a moment of desperation. Instead, they had the church. They had this writing from Peter. They had the the voice, the the verbal communication, the, the stories that were passed down to them or told to them about how to continue to walk, walk in this newness of life. But you've been to those places. You've been to those places of desperation. Maybe it's just camp. Maybe as a student you went to civils and there was no there was no Wi-Fi, there was no service. And so for a short time you experienced not having connection to the outside world. Or maybe you were privileged to be on this earth so long now that you remember a time as a child not having any connection to the outside world besides maybe a, a weekly paper or just stories that were told to you over time. And so you can think back to those times, those moments of no connection to the outside world. What are we going to do? We're in the moment of suffering, the trial, the, the tribulation, and we're in need of something. And so Peter writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to encourage these believers to remain, to remain connected, to remain firmly planted or rooted in the one thing that will remain forever. The one thing that will remain forever. And that, if you don't already know, is Jesus and the good news that accompanies him. Remaining faithful to Him, centered upon Him, rooted in Him and Him alone. And I know that's really, really simple. And many of us think, but how does that apply to regular, everyday, average life? Well, these were regular, everyday, average folk. Peter was a regular, everyday, average fisherman that had to be corrected sometimes and say, hey, fish on the other side of the boat and maybe you'll catch something. I mean, these are just normal people who were following Jesus, who were, des- who were desiring to be obedient to Christ and Christ alone. And so these words ring true. This is why we can spend just four weeks now studying three or four verses and yet still hear over and over again the need for us in Jesus, the need for us to be rooted in Him, planted in Him, firmly established in Him and Him alone. And so when a tragedy strikes, uh, like that's happened in Hobbes, or when a tragedy strikes in whatever may be this week in, in your house, maybe you just simply run out of bread. In that moment, you can say, give us this day our 
daily bread. We can still rely upon Christ and his promises. We can still be rooted in him and him alone. All right, let's talk about these verses, 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter's trying to get our minds focused in on this. Last week we talked about a genuine faith in these things. We have to have faith in these things so that we can continue to press on. Verse 4 and 5 says this. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So let's focus in on verses 4 and 5 together. This being born again, this being reborn that Peter is talking about and that Jesus talks to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, when we are born again, we are born into an inheritance. So let's talk for a moment about an inheritance. Maybe maybe some of you this, this morning are longing for, you cannot wait for your family's inheritance. When my sister and I talk about uh, the day that may happen someday in the future, when my parents get to step into eternity and be with Jesus in glory forever, and we are left with their stuff, the things that we inherit, we look at their garage, we look at their storage units, we look at the things that my dad and mom have acquired, and we both play paper, rock, scissor, and we say, you can have all their junk which will be all of it, because that's all that it is. The things that I want, I've already received. My sister fight back and forth about those things, and we will continue to fight back and forth, because I want her to have all those things, and I want just to rest and not have to deal with any of that. So we think about an inheritance. And probably our thoughts go towards something that we treasure, the treasures that we are going to receive. But there's, there's a little bit of a difference here. We're not just talking about treasures. Particularly, we're not talking about earthly treasures. When Peter is trying to encourage the Christians to continue on firmly rooted in Jesus, uh, you know, grabbing a hold of this living hope that we have, he didn't just cause us to be born again so that we can continue pursuing or running towards treasures upon this earth that moth and rust destroy. But instead, he's talking about an inheritance that's much greater than that. An inheritance that we, that we should be longing for. A future inheritance that we get to have in the future, yes, at the time that Christ is revealed to everyone, but an inheritance that we get to take part in now also. Primarily, I'm going to do a little spoiler. Primarily, this has to do with salvation. You can read there in verse 5. Jump ahead if you'd so desire. This inheritance that we have of salvation that we get to be redeemed from the pit and we get, ultimately, we get Jesus. So this, this inheritance that we have should be influencing everything that we are. All right? We learn who we are through our inheritance. So we're not just inheriting treasures upon this earth from your mamas and daddies and your grandparents and great-grandparents and generations past, but you're also inheriting so much more than that. Many of the patterns of your life, the expectations that you have, the models, the examples that you have were formed from some sort of family inheritance. 
An inheritance is so much more than just a transfer of money and goods and treasures and property. It is actually a cultivation or a farming of a way of life. You inherited who you are upon this earth mostly because of who your family is. Even if you were adopted, you gained a new inheritance. Hopefully you're seeing this in the doctrine of adoption. You gained a new inheritance and you're becoming like those that you're inheriting from. So your expectations, your examples that you have, the pattern of your life is mostly based on the inheritance that you have and will have. Why do I love French toast? It's not because my family's French. It's because my grandma made really good French toast. And I inherited a love for that, as well as chocolate cake, as well as coffee, as well as Dr. Pepper, as well as Texas. And in a not-so-funny state, as well as racism, as well as prejudices, as well as hatred, as well as greed, as well as jealousy, as well as discontentment, those things that I've learned from many examples. Some of you may say through, through your family inheritance you inherited things like that. You inherited depression, maybe. You inherited those things and you're dealing with those today. Inheritance is not just merely about receiving a treasure or money or goods or land or property, but instead you have to see that inheritance also is cultivating a way of life. And in this particular case, when we're talking about this inheritance that we're born again into, that Jesus is providing for us, Romans 12 goes rightly into this. That we are being transformed into his likeness. No longer being conformed to the pattern of this world or your previous family. But instead in your new family, adopted by Jesus into his, his family, being born again into that, we are being changed into his likeness. We are inheriting something new and something completely different. Peter, in this case, he would have inherited some cool things like fishing boats and fishing nets and fishing poles and fishing supplies. He would have inherited those, but also along with that, he would have inherited an expertise on knowing when to cast a net, when to sail a boat, and maybe most importantly, how to spot when a storm is coming so that he can prepare himself and the rest of the fishermen on his boat for the storm that's approaching, which are all good things. They're all great things. But Peter is recognizing that the inheritance that he has in Jesus is much more great than the inheritance, than the inheritance that he receives from his Father. If his life was to be purposed only for fishing nets and fishing boats, it wouldn't amount to much. But because Jesus repurposed his life, caused him to be born again, and then said, I will make you a fisher of men, his inheritance completely, completely changed. Psych I love this quote from uh, Russell Moore. Psychologists tell us how our personalities can be shaped, even lifelong, by the ways our parents mirrored back to us who we were as individuals and those who belong in the larger family structure. So studies show that 
how your parents treated you or mirrored your actions or mirrored who you are, your identity, as well as your larger family structure, give way towards a lifelong living. How you're going to live as a 90-year-old or a 9-year-old. How you're going to live as a 20-year-old or a 70-year-old. You can look at the roots that you have and say, I inherited some of these actions from my family structure. I inherited some of these actions, some of these reasons for life, some of my purposes from those who trained me in the way that I'm, I'm living. Some of those are good, like I said. Some of those are, are great things, even. Some of those things that we've inherited, we should continue on with. And some of those, if they're not pointing to Christ, we should say, Lord, convict us, we repent of that, and we turn towards Jesus and the new inheritance that we have. So we, as followers of Jesus, should be mirroring the one in whom we now have a new inheritance. We should be mirroring Jesus and his actions. We should be studying his word daily so that we and our lives begin to sound like Jesus and look like Jesus. You, when you talk and when you preach and when you share, you should sound like the Bible. People should say, you sound like the Bible. You act like Jesus. They should not say, you look like little Rex. That's my dad's name. I don't want to look like little Rex. I don't even want to look like big Rex. I want to, in my new inheritance, to be Jesus. I want my life to be being transformed into him so that others see Christ. Because there is no hope, and great as my dad is, there is no hope in little Rex or big Rex. There's only hope in Jesus. And thanks, side note, thanks be to Jesus that he saved my dad. And then my dad said, he's most important. So when people say, you look like little Rex, say, no, I don't. I don't ever want to look like little Rex. I want to be, I want to be Jesus. We should be. We should be mirroring the one in whom we have this new inheritance. The problem is, though, we love the inheritance that we have. Sin has taught us that. We love the fleeting things. We absolutely love the things that moth and rust destroy. We love those things. We love the fishing nets and the fishing boats and the fishing supplies. We love that. Or maybe it's just me. I would have loved to have been Peter. But you would never have known about me. Because I would have been the faulty sinner who loved those things more than Jesus. Love the inheritance of this world more than the than the inheritance that Jesus gives us. There's a greater problem than just you dealing with the sin and the fleeting things of this world. The greater problem is this: that if you have been born again, and Christ is Lord of your life. You, according to Paul in Galatians 2.20, says this, you have been crucified with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God. Why? Because he loved us and he gave himself up for, for us, for the entire world. Why is that crucifixion, being crucified with Christ, a problem? Why is it a problem? Turn real quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 21. 
Deuteronomy chapter 21. Why is the new inheritance that we're receiving a problem or pose a problem? Because it seems as if, Deuteronomy chapter 21 tells us, and we'll talk about this just for a second, it seems as if the inheritance that we are receiving as folks born again, folks following Jesus, the inheritance that we're receiving feels and seems as if it is a curse. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 through 23 say this, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for for an inheritance. We saw this play out with Jesus. Many said he was a sinner. Many said that he sinned so wrongly that he was punishable by this particular judgment, that he should be hanged upon a tree. And so he was. They convicted him, they judged him, and they said he is punishable by death upon a tree. And they followed through with this commandment, with this judgment. They punished him, they hung him on a tree, he died, and in the same day they buried him because they were worried about being cursed themselves. Jesus' crucifixion meant that those standing around would have reasoned. Remember, Jesus said he was the Son of God. They would have reasoned that he was rejected as God's son and that he had forfeited his own inheritance. So here's Jesus proclaiming to the world, I'm the son of God and I'm going to inherit his kingdom. And yet in his so-called blasphemy, in his sin and judgment, the leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day said, He's punishable by death. And in so doing, he's forfeiting his inheritance. So can you imagine for a moment, 30 years removed from that crucifixion, those following Jesus, how many of Satan's lies are being whispered and yelled to the followers of Jesus? But do you really have an inheritance? I mean, this Jesus you're following, he was judged, rightly judged, according to law. He blasphemed. He called himself things. And even if he is the Son of God, Deuteronomy tells us, the law tells us, that he has no inheritance. So not only do you not have an identity, something to, to live by, but you don't have anything to live for. You don't even have an inheritance if Jesus is the one you call Father or Lord. You have nothing. So it seems as if, it seems as if, that us having an inheritance given from Jesus would be somewhat of a curse. 
Paul even says in Romans 8, 16-17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so we're children of God. And if children, then heirs or fellow heirs or co-heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So when we talk about this inheritance, it ain't just all like a Deleon Peach and Mountain Festival. It ain't all just roses, tortillas on, on, on Tuesday. It ain't all just blessedness and happiness. Instead, it seems as if this inheritance we have comes with some suffering. But thanks be to Jesus that that suffering that may happen comes with glorification of the Father. So though, though the cross brings us to this point of crisis, was Jesus, was Jesus cursed? So the cross, in a sense, was a, a scandal, really both to Jews and to Gentiles, because who could follow a God-cursed, humiliated criminal 30 years removed? Do we continue to follow this Jesus 2,000 years removed? Is he really the Messiah? Is he really the one that we should be living every moment of our life for? Is it really worth it? Could we really be following this, this Jesus? I mean, how could a crucified man ever give a kingdom to his followers when he could not even escape execution himself? Those are the questions that many wrestle with. And this is why Peter is, is yelling through his, his words. We have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus. He came back to life. And as these first generation followers of Jesus are being threatened by persecution, being martyred for their faith, and they begin to wrestle with these same things, Peter begins to tell them, you have a greater inheritance. Do not give up. Continue, continue, continue to follow Jesus for it is worth it. When you wrestle with, do I want my identity to be found in him or do I want my identity to be found in someone or something else? When you wrestle with, do I really have something of an inheritance in Jesus? Is he really a prize? Is he really, is he really salvation? Is he really what I should be living for. Do not rely on teachings from this world. Do not rely on teachings from your inheritance. Instead, rely on the teaching from your new inheritance, from the one that you call Lord. I mean, maybe, again, maybe you received as an inheritance racism or alcoholism or debt or shame or guilt or money or land or pride or fat or how to bake a cake, or how to change a tire. Maybe it's a blessed life that you've inherited. Or maybe it's just completely dark. Maybe maybe your training ground for life was your family. And it was good. Or, or maybe it was bad. Maybe you're trying to run away from all that. Maybe you have a great family that you're holding on to. Maybe you have everything that you think that you'll ever need. But let's hear what the gospel says. Preach the gospel to yourself and say, what inheritance am I living for? What, in, what inheritance am I trying to pursue? And if it's not Christ, give it up. Give it up. 
Christ redeemed us. Galatians 3 says this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we're not inheriting the curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We are not receiving an inheritance that is a curse. Instead, we are receiving an inheritance from Jesus that is life everlasting. Because our inheritance is in heaven, nothing on earth can alter or destroy it. If it were to remain in a temple or a box, surely at some point in history, it could be destroyed. But that is not where our inheritance is. Our inheritance is not simply a land or a city or even a new earth. It is all that God will give us. And that is, what has God given us? His Son and salvation through Him. And that is why Peter goes on to say, this inheritance that we have is imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven for us. Who by God's power is being guarded. Or is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Three, three things here. Imperishable. What does imperishable mean? It means that it's incorruptible. It's without decay. It will not perish. It's immortal. We can only have that through Jesus. John 3.16 is a simple verse that many of you have memorized. We will not perish because of the giving of His Son. We can have life everlasting. Dentists make a living off of tooth decay. Sin stays alive on truth decay. If you continue to make your inheritance sin, truth will continue to decay. But if your inheritance is based upon Jesus, it is imperishable. It will not die. It will not perish. It will not decay because you're resting upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Romans 1, 23, And I exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Don't be a part of this. Instead, put glory in where it should be or on where it should be the immortal God the one that cannot perish Proverbs 12 28 in the path of righteousness is life and it, and in its pathway there is no death it is the only way that's not perishable our inheritance is not subject to decay it remains today as holy and as perfect as it has always been and will always be Peter goes on to say our inheritance is undefiled, meaning that it is without stain. It is without stain. Jesus, in your sin-stained life, took your place and gives you an inheritance that is no longer stained with sin, removing that. That's the inheritance that you have. The land of Canaan, Israel's inheritance, was defiled, first by heathen inhabitants, then by, then by Israel's own idolatry. And some of you wrestle with this today because you're resting in your own salvation, your own works. If I can keep myself pure, if I can keep myself undefiled, then I'm a good person and salvation comes my, my way. No, we're not resting in ourselves or our own work. We're resting in the work of Jesus. He's the only one that can keep us undefiled and unfading. It will never lose its worth or beauty. Why do my sister and I wrestle about the things that my parents have? Because we know moth and rust will destroy it. 
Things that once had beauty no longer have beauty. Things that once had worth, we've looked through their stuff already as they're alive, most of their stuff does not have worth. We don't want to be a part of those things. We want to be a part of an unfading, imperishable, undefiled inheritance of faith in Christ and Christ alone. Our inheritance is not simply, again, it's not simply just a, a land or a city or even a new earth. It is all that God will give us. And what does He give us? He gives us His Son, Jesus. God's salvation is finished. It's perfect. It's unchangeable because it is kept by God Himself. If you go on trusting in yourself for salvation, there is no hope. You will fail. You have failed. You will continue to fail. And for this very reason, we put all our hope in Jesus. Hebrews 7, 26-28 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a great high priest in Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like the, those high priests of before, to offer sacrifice daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later when the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We can trust in him and him alone. And the same power that is keeping your salvation today is keeping you. I'll finish with this. Romans 8, 34-39. Who is to condemn you? Who is to condemn you? Who is to say you're imperishable? Who is to say that you can perish? Who is to say that you are defiled or condemned? Who is to say that you're fading away? Who is it that is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, was raised. Who is now at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. How is He keeping you? He's interceding for you. He's speaking to the Father for you. That one I've saved. That one I've standing in their place. That one. He's interceding for us. And so who shall? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer to that is yes, if your inheritance is the things of this world, if your trust is in your own salvation, if your trust is in your own works, the answer is yes, you will be separated through those things. But if your trust is in the completed work of Jesus, as it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through Him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And He is the inheritance that we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You that You're God who is willing to step out of eternity and come to this broken place and rescue us. God, in response to you as we sing this morning, God, when we sing about giving our heart to you, God, let it not just be words. Let it be truth. Let our heart and truth be connected 
and let us see the inheritance that we have fully in Jesus. And God, for those wrestling like myself, the things of this world, being satisfied in those, sustained by those, desiring more to inherit things of this world that are fleeting, but continue to convict us of that. Continue to change us. God, so that we might be glorifiers of you and not ourselves. God, let us respond to you this morning in a way that worships you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.